0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 10th of March 2013, entitled Failure to Consider. And the Bible reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. It's Pastor Curtis. I'd like to take our scripture reading this evening from the book of Isaiah chapter 1. This is where I can't remember what, how God changed my direction. This is what originally was planned to preach last Sunday evening, Uh, but uh, I don't remember why, but the Lord changed our direction to uh, speaking about being high and lifted up the Lord Jesus Christ. But uh, I thought this evening, failure to consider. Book of Isaiah, I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word as we begin in chapter 1. And verse 1. The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord hath spoken, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner. And the ass is master's crib, but Israel doth not know, My people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evil-doers, children that are corrupters, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked the holy One of Israel, and to anger they are gone away backward. Why should you be stricken any more? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence and it is desolate, as overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Verse 9 says, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Father, we thank you this evening as we look into your word, Lord, this passage that you have laid upon our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would just be with us and help us this evening. Lord, that not only the words would be spoken, that you would have spoken, but, Father, they would be spoken, the anointing of your power and not man's. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. You know, it's interesting because in some ways, (laughs) if we tried to plan these things out, we'd make a mess of them. I had not considered when this was, when God first laid this message on my heart and when I had first originally planned to preach it last week, of course, in the in the timing of all and, and why God changed that direction, but really the message this evening in a lot of ways ties into what we looked at this morning. And I would ask you to pray about that because, you know, it's an interesting thing. A lot of times I wrestled with the Lord because, of course, Today is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers, by the way. A day to honor motherhood. Uh, And of course, we did look at that this morning. I tried to look at that. But of course, in contrast, in a society uh, where that sin abounds, uh, in a society where that uh, uh, it is vital, it is important, as we talk about contending for the faith and we talk about the witness of the church, We find that the witness of the church, the words that they speak, will mean very little if the lifestyles and the lives that they live are that of a sinful world. We would have never thought that we would live in a day. As we said this morning, when that homosexuality was considered just to be okay, just another lifestyle, another way to be. When gay marriage would even be debated in the the House of Parliament let alone coming to a point of where that the political leader of the country is pushing (laughs) uh, to get it through. The simple truth is that is the society that we now live in, and it goes slap in the face of motherhood, of marriage, of the way that God planned for this society to be. But we find that, again, one thing that was interesting to me this morning is that, you know, I find a lot of times you kind of, Expect those old people like me (laughs) to think real hard on a lot of these things. But one thing that really surprised me this morning after the service was a number of the young people that came up wanting the Scriptures and wanting some of the notes because they didn't have to face that thing every day at school. They face it in society all the time, and we fail to realize a lot of times that, again, this is our sword, this is what we have to fight against the enemy with. And so we need to address these things a lot of times. And the truth is, is that as we look this evening, we find that here in this text that, uh, that God, uh, Jehovah God, you'll see that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's Jehovah God, Yahweh in the Hebrew. He's really filing a complaint against the nation of Israel here. And we've seen a number of times how it's interesting in scriptures that there's a, usually this two or three witnesses. Will he's inviting here the heavens and the earth to witness this. We find that as we read through these verses that it's almost like a courtroom scene where God, in essence, he's the, he's the plaintiff, he's the prosecutor, and he's the judge. He said, I have nourished and brought up children. That's important. These are God's children. He's not talking about a sinful world. We look out there and it shocks us sometimes that all those sinners are actually acting like sinners. They're acting like they're supposed to act. They're supposed to be unrighteous. They're supposed to be ungodly. But we find that the complaint that God is bringing against the nation of Israel here, it's not against the sinful world. He said, I have nourished and brought up children, God's children. These are the descendants of Abraham, his his chosen people. We know in, in, in reading through so many passages that God's intention was for them to be a blessing to other nations. But instead of being a blessing to the nations, here in this passage, he's having to call upon those nations to witness the shame." God had cared for them. God had nourished them. What were his children's response? I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. I've cared for them. I've met their needs. I've given them the things they need, and yet now my children are rebelling against me. They were disobeying. They were rebelling like children when they've been cared for by their parents and and raised many times all their lives, all their needs being met. And they reach that point when it always seems to happen, when there comes that point when they suddenly realize or they think that they suddenly know more than mom and dad does. (laughs) They've suddenly got some new things figured out, that mom and dad forgot to figure out when they were growing up and whatnot. We find that it comes with this sense of knowledge. And it's when this sense of knowledge comes that they then begin to disobey and rebel against the very ones that have lovingly brought them up. And we see it time and time and time again in the physical world where children rebel against the great love, the great care the authority that's over them that has been there all this time. Well, here God is speaking as a father. I've nourished and brought up children. They have rebelled against me. It's interesting as he goes on there when he said, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Notice his next words. The ox knoweth his owner and the ass his master's crib. In other words, even the dumb animals like the ox and the ass, they seem to understand better than my children do. At least they seem to know who their master is. At least they seem to know who's taking care of them. At least they seem to know who they're supposed to follow and where their crib, where their feeding trough is, if you would. (laughs) But Israel doth not know. Israel doth not know. I've nourished them. I've brought them up. Now they've rebelled against me. Even the animals are showing more, more sense than what they are. Israel doth not know his children. They don't seem to know even what the animals know. Of course, rebellion is a deliberate, and self-willed act of disobedience. When you rebel against something, you know exactly what you're doing. His children knew what they were doing. The problem is they were knowing the wrong things. They They don't know where they're supposed to be following. They don't know where they're supposed to be feeding because they come up with their own ideas. They've become focused on self and their ideas rather than the true source of their nourishment, the true source of their blessing. And I would simply ask you this, doesn't that sound familiar to us (laughs) in so many ways? You know, what was it that had brought this about? He gives us the answer so clear there. He says, the ox knoweth his owner, the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. My people doth not consider. You see, we see a failure to consider. Now, you've got to realize this was being written over 700 years before that Jesus Christ even came to this earth. And yet this vision of Isaiah with the nation of Israel is a picture that would seem to ring very clear not 700 years before Jesus came, but now some 2,000 years after he came. The nations of the earth that have known God's blessings so abundantly, his children, they're the ones that have rebelled against him because they have failed to consider some things. You see, in light of today, I honestly believe as I stand before you, men have all kinds of wonderful ideas of themselves. Why have so many of the Western nations been blessed to the degree that they have? Why have nations like Britain and the United States Why have they been blessed so much when it comes to their economies and their homes and their family lives and all of these things? I believe because they were people of God. I believe that some of the miraculous things that you read about, even when you study the the, the world wars and the things that took place that just absolutely made no sense except the divine intervention of God himself. You see, the problem is these are nations that one time were built upon the principles of this book. These are nations where that truly in times gone by there were those that went from these shores all around the world carrying the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now the very nations that they took that, that gospel to are the very nations that are having to send people back to bring the gospel back to here. You see the vision that Isaiah saw for the nation of Israel, the things that were true then, I believe there are things that are very true of our nations today. As we look at these thoughts in light of today, as we, as we try, you know, God didn't give us. He tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration and that all of it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, We find that as we begin to look here, what is God trying to teach us? It's not just so that we have some kind of a history lesson back there of what took place in Israel some 2,700 years ago. God has a purpose for it. I believe the same truth applies that he echoed here in verse 9, which we read through. As I said, except the Lord of hosts, had left unto us a very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom. We should have been likened to Gomorrah. I believe today that the only reason, the only salvation of our nations has been because of that remnant of God's people that still had a belief that still were spending time on their knees, that were still standing upon the truths that that God had nurtured them in and brought them up, except for that very small remnant, he says, it would be destroyed. Just like the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, because the sin increased in them to the point that they couldn't even find five spiritual people in the whole city. This truth... I believe is true of Great Britain and the United States today as much as it was of Israel in those days. A small remnant has held back God's hand because most of his children that he nourished, that he blessed so greatly, they've rebelled. They've rebelled against the very God that brought those blessings their way. You know, one of the sad truths is that there are some of us that walk with the Lord that maybe there's been some point in our lives when we've backslid a little bit. You see, if you're not going forward, you're going backwards. The sad thing is is some of us know there's been some points maybe where we backslid more than just a little bit. But there's one thing I met, even as I look back and I, and I see a time in my life when I found myself away from the Lord when I was a young man, I've never, ever met a backslider that planned to backslide. I've never ever met anybody that was walking with the Lord that planned one day I'm going to move away from him. One day I'm going to get a little bit of distance between me and the Lord. I don't think that thought ever enters the mind. It's a process that takes place in a life that leads to a very unfortunate end. But a big part of that process is when God's children fail to consider some things, just as the nation of Israel did here. There are a lot of things that one can fail to consider, but I want us just to consider a few. Not deep things that you've got to go really trying to, to dig out of the depth. Some very simple things that we all know here this evening, but see there's a big difference. There's a big difference in knowing a fact in our head and considering something. We can know a lot of things, and yet it can kind of just be compartmentalized. It can be put away for a later time, or it can be put there for when we need it. There's some things that we know that we should continually consider. How can this come about? How can a nation that walked with God, a nation that's blessed with God, or blessed by God, a nation that's been nurtured by God and brought up, how can they come to the point that they would choose to rebel and go another direction? Well, I believe, first of all, simply a failure to consider the sacrifice of our Savior. You see, sometimes salvation can just get too downright cheap for us. You know, it's something that it's a free gift We can't buy it with all the money in the world. It's given to us free. And yet it costs God everything. We fail to consider what it really costs, God's people. Fail to consider the cost of their salvation that they begin to take for granted. The great sacrifice that was made. How great the cost was. The Bible teaches us maybe it's free for us. He says, we've been bought with a price. It costs God something. Becoming a child of God is free for us, but it's far from cheap. The sacrifice that was made for our salvation is so far beyond measure that we can't even go there. We cannot even begin to comprehend what it was like for the Son of God to take on the sins of this world. We can't begin to comprehend what it meant to take the penalty of that sin for each and every one of us. We can't begin to comprehend what it meant for the Son of God to be separated from His Father in heaven. Folks, it might be free, but let's not be guilty of coming to the point that we think that it's cheap. You see, if he had not been willing to pay the price that he had, we would still be under the bondage of sin. We wouldn't have any choice. We wouldn't have any option. 1 Corinthians 7.23 says, You are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. You've been bought with a price. So don't turn around and, 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 and serve men when you belong to somebody else. Peter emphasizes this in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says in verse 18 and 19, he says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. He's talking about here the the wealth of men, the riches of men, the inheritance, all these things, the, the silver and gold, he says, that's not what's paid the price for you. That's not what's redeemed you. He says, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, without spots. You know, there's some wealthy people in this world. But I dare to say, I dare to say you wouldn't probably find a one of them that if it came right down to their wealth, all of their worldly wealth, or being nailed to a cross like Jesus was. (laughs) Do you think that if they could use that wealth to stay off that cross, they would do it in a heartbeat? We couldn't be bought with money. We couldn't be bought with all the things of the world. The simple truth is, is that it was only the blood of Christ. That was the sacrifice that was required. You see, God bled at Calvary for you and I. Now, that's hard for people to understand anywhere out there. But for a believer, it's not hard to accept. We we, we talked about this morning this fact that, you know, that there's, there's some things that it's because of the Spirit that lives within us that we can understand things that we could never, ever understand in the natural. God creates in His Son's in his daughters, that capacity to believe even what they don't understand. You see, the truth is when he saves us, like I said, you know, that you you think after a, a lifetime of trying to read and study God's Word that you'd begin to feel like you're getting somewhere. The more you study it, the more you read it, you've heard me say it time before, the more you realize how little you know the more you realize the depth of everything that's there. You see, the truth is, we're living in a nation today just like Israel was all those 2,700 years ago. The truth is, is that God's people, God's people have rebelled. It's God's people that's gone away from Him. We want to blame it on the world. We want to blame it on sin. Folks, We're the ones that belong to the Lord. We're the ones that have the responsibilities that he's given us, that his work be accomplished to us. There's no way, no way for a believer to draw back from this public confession of faith that we talk about so many times when he really begins to realize what God has paid for his redemption. It's just just like those apostles in the book of Acts, they can't help but talk about it. You can't help but tell others. But if we're not considering the cost, when we recognize what he really did for us, you know, when Paul is dealing with the church at Corinth and he's dealing with here a people that are steeped in their sin. This was a carnal church at this point. What does he use to deal with them about that sin? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 and 20 says, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which... Are God's. Too many. Too many have failed to consider the sacrifice of the Savior. Oh, this evening, God forbid that we should ever do so. We need to keep in constant mind, Christians. We need to keep in constant mind the cost of our salvation. Let it free this to us, not cheapen it. Because when we begin to fail to consider the cost of our salvation, it will lead to tragedy. It won't be so important. You know, I'll guarantee you something. You can take the things in your life, the things that are the most valuable, the things that are the most precious, Those are the things that you'll protect the most. The problem too many times with our salvation is we're forgetting just what it cost God. We're forgetting what the price was to redeem us from our sins. We know, we know the fact, but we fail to consider it. Secondly, not only have many failed to consider the sacrifice of the Savior, but they've also failed to consider the sufficiency of the Savior. We're a very self-sufficient people. We can take care of ourselves. We can do all these things. I was talking to uh, Antonio before the service there. We're talking about, you know, the importance of of preparation and studying the Word of God and the importance of taking every opportunity, whether it be at Bible college and the local church, to serve God, to train, to learn, to prepare ourselves, to be busy about the Lord's business, but preparing ourselves for what God has for us in the future as well, the truth is is that we have a responsibility to prepare and do what we can, but folks, our sufficiency is in him. our sufficiency is in the Lord. I forget when it was, you know, when you start preaching as many sermons as I do, I, I, I remember in one of the last few sermons that I preached. <laughs> But I reminded you, I think it may have been Wednesday evening in our devotion time. Reminded you that, you know, so many times God, nowhere in Scripture, asked us to be ignorant. (laughs) There is no premium on ignorance. But at the same time, with all of our education in the world, without the Lord's hand, without the Lord's sufficiency, we're not going to accomplish anything. The D.L. Moody's, the Billy Sunday's, the Charles Spurgeon's, there were men that maybe didn't have the great advantages that even some of you here would have this evening. But they had the hand of God upon them. The sufficiency of our Lord. You see, we should never fail to consider not just the sufficiency, if you would, the all sufficiency of the Savior. The sacrifice he made, the the price he paid, it was his own blood. But the blood of Christ was sufficient, the Bible says, to cleanse us from all sin. It was sufficient for us to, to be able to be cleansed from sin and then to be able to live for God. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 12 to 14 says, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, how much more shall that purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Yes, we need to consider the cost, the sacrifice that was made by our Savior but we need to consider continually the sufficiency of our Savior. Everything we are, every hope that we have, it all rested in Him. It was sufficient. You'll notice in the words, but by His own blood, He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. You see, that redemption, that price that was paid, that sacrifice that was made, what it obtained for you, that redemption, he says, was eternal for us. It was for us, personal. And it was for something that was sufficient for eternity. He obtained what we could never obtain. And then he just gave it to us by grace. It cost him everything. But he was obtaining that redemption for you and I that would last for eternity. He obtained our redemption. But he also obtained our very acceptance into God's presence. Ephesians 1, 6, "...to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Jesus has made us accepted. There's no way any one of us could even stand before God and be accepted of God except for Jesus Christ. He obtained our redemption. He's the one that obtained our acceptance into the presence of God. Matter of fact, I know it's hard to believe when you look in the mirror, he's the one that obtained your perfection. I know that most of you have met at least one perfect person in your life. Colossians 2:10 says, "And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You're complete. Literally speaking about your perfection, you're everything that you need to be. You're all-sufficient. Now, I know, I know that most of us haven't had the privilege of experiencing that yet. When we look in the mirror, we see lots of imperfections. But yet, the Bible says, you are complete in him. You see, he's speaking about a positional perfection there. A positional perfection. In Christ, you are complete. You are all sufficient. You have everything that you need. What's the result of that? Colossians 1, verses 21 and 22 says, And you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, holy, unblameable, unreprovable, guess what? What? That's the result of being complete in Him. Do You know that you cannot, you cannot stand before God any more perfect than you can right now in Christ. When you're in Christ, you can't be more complete. There's nothing more that you can be in Him. I know we don't see it in the flesh yet, but in Christ... You see, Jesus is perfect, and in Him, so are we. He is all-sufficient, folks. Rebellion can come about because of a, a failure to consider. Sometimes people fail to consider the sacrifice of the Savior, the great cost, how much our salvation truly costs. People fail to consider the sufficiency of the Savior. I mean, you can't get more sufficient than in Him. We know that. We know the Bible tells us these things. But do we consider those day by day in our lives? Do we live those things? And I just want to give you one other. You see... Sometimes there's also a failure to consider not only the sacrifice and the sufficiency, but the sovereignty of our Savior. The sovereignty of the Savior. Who was that that was bringing this vision and speaking to Isaiah, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Jehovah God? It was also God the same God that hung on the cross of Calvary yes in the person of Christ the same God it's also God that has exalted our Savior <laughs> above all else above everything else even given him a name that is above every name Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 to 11 wherefore God, if you'll allow me to put it in a simple vernacular, sometimes we forget who the boss is. Sometimes we forget who's really in control and who's really in charge. He is sovereign. God is sovereign. Jesus is God. You find that that's why that That's why that Jesus allowed himself to be worshipped when he was on this earth. He's sovereign God. Matthew chapter 8 verse 2, And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. May I say to you, and I mean not to be unkind this evening, it is totally, completely, Ludicrous to say that you believe the Bible and yet to say that Jesus is anything other than God himself. You can't read the Bible and believe it and have it any other way. You see, some people like to say he was a good man. He was a prophet. He was the son of God. He was the greatest example. He was all kinds of things, but not to admit that he was God. Folks, he can't be those other things. Because if he was not God, then as we have said in past to those that were searching for answers, he's one of three things he's either a liar because he's the one that said he was God and he was the one that accepted worship or he's a complete lunatic. He was convinced himself that he was something that he wasn't or he is Lord of the universe. You can't go in between, folks. You can't read the things that the Bible gives to us if you accept it as truth Jesus is God. We find that if Jesus had been just man and not God, then it would have been a very, very, very wrong thing for him to allow this leper to worship him. That would have been blasphemy. That was precisely why Peter refused worship because he was just a man. In Acts chapter 10, verses 25 and 26, and as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. What did Peter do? But Peter took him up saying, stand up. I myself also am a man. I'm not one to be worshiped. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus accepted the worship. Why? Very, very simple Because Jesus was God. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus received worship then, and Jesus receives our worship now. You see, we've got to consider the claims of the Redeemer, not whether we can figure it out, because God said it. Jesus is God, and as God, He's sovereign. He's in control. When men fail to consider who Jesus is, when they fail to see him for all that he is, when they fail to see him as the sovereign of the universe, the creator of all that is, then they're going to fail to follow him. They're going to fail to obey him. They're going to fail to serve him. They're going to fail to worship him all these things are going to fall away when they don't see Jesus Christ for who he is. When we see him who he is and all of his sovereignty, we'll follow him, we'll obey him, we'll serve him, we'll worship him. But when you take him out of the position that he's truly in, those things begin to fall by the side. You see, when Israel failed to consider They thought they are doing a good thing, but again, if you allow me to say, you know, sum up what God said, they'd become dumber than animals. <laughs> they thought they had it all figured out themselves. They got this plan all laid out. They've gone their own way. They don't need God anymore. He said the animals were smarter than they were. <laughs> they failed to remember what they once knew. You see, that's the problem. We know a lot of facts, but do we consider them? Day by day as we're living our lives, unfortunately our nation has failed there. They forgot who nourished them, who cared for them, who met their needs. And in time they rebelled against the very God, their Father, the one whom their very existence was dependent upon. I'm just saying, folks, we find ourselves in a very similar position today. A great majority of our nations are doing the same thing that Israel did. There is a failure To consider. And it's really pretty simple things that they fail to consider. These are things we know. These are things Israel knew. These are things that we know from God. And yet we fail to consider them. You see, in the end, what they fail to consider most is Jesus Christ Him, His person. It was His sacrifice. It's his sufficiency. It's his sovereignty. It's all in him or it's nothing. I want to give you this verse in closing. You see, these thoughts can do a couple of things for us this evening. Number one, it can encourage us. It can let us know we can be part of the remnant. We can be those that truly are walking with our Lord. Or we can be part of the majority that's out there. The Word of God is there for all of us to know that we consider Him, give Him His rightful place in our lives day by day. But it's also another reason this evening, not only for you and I to help keep us Nobody plans to backslide, I said, but you can sure plan not to. You can put the preventative measures in. You know, one of the things that used to irk me as a young man when I was serving in the Air Force is all the equipment was running absolutely perfect, and all the planes were flying where they were supposed to, you know, like on and off the runways and not into the side of the mountains out there or something. Everything seemed to be clicking over pretty good, and yet... And we had all this work we had to go out and do called preventative maintenance. You know, you don't wait until everything breaks and the, pl- and the planes are flying in the wrong places to go out and fix it. You do the things that are necessary to keep it from breaking in the first place. Christians are pretty poor at preventative maintenance a lot of times. It's after it's broke. <laughs> We're down in the gutter. We're trying to figure out how we got there wanting to get out. But folks, we can consider some things. We can keep Jesus foremost. Remember, your salvation isn't cheap. Remember what it cost him. Remember the sufficiency that you have in Jesus Christ. He's all sufficient. Remember, he's sovereign. Be willing to Bow to him one day, every knee will bell and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, that he is God, but right now you and I can do that, but also I believe that you and I can have at least a part in the condition of our nations because we're not going to turn them around by just doing good things in ourselves. But well, 2 Chronicles 7.14 is still in our Bibles. which says, if my people, is, is that not who these people were in Isaiah chapter 1, God's people? Second Chronicles, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, And turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. He's still the same God. If he was willing to do that for the nation of Israel, for his people, is he not still willing to do that for his people today? I don't see him ever, ever, ever recanting on that statement, taking that back anywhere along the way. I believe those principles can still be applied today. God's people, are you part of that remnant this evening that know that you're his? Let us not fail to consider some of the simplest but most important things. In our Christian life. Father, thank you this evening. Lord, I don't know who that these thoughts may have been for besides the preacher this evening, but Lord, you know every heart. Lord, as we look around us, it can be almost frightening sometimes. We look about us and we, we see the sin abounding so very, very much in a land where, Lord, at least once In the past, Lord, there was a time when, Lord, you were honored more. You were respected more. You were followed more. But Lord, we live in a day when that really is a thing of the past. Lord, I pray that you would help us today as Christians. Lord, help each one here to know that they are part of that remnant, that they truly belong to you. And, Lord, as your children, help us to consider these simple things that might keep us closer, that might keep us from being one of those that drift away and eventually rebel against the very one that has nourished us and met our needs. Father, help us to be a strong people this evening. Lord, we pray that you'd help us too. Lord, the place that we will begin to help our nations upon our knees, humbling ourselves. It starts with us as individuals, not pointing our finger at anyone else, but when, as his people, as your people, we'll humble ourselves and pray. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us this evening to do the part that we can. Lord, for the nations where we live, that, Lord, some of these that maybe one time walked with you and have rebelled against you, or oh, that we'd see them coming back to you. We'll give you the praise and thanks for it in Christ's name. Amen. Mm-hmm.